James chapter 4. James 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 here today. Throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, we learn that there is a battle going on for our souls. We learn throughout Scripture that there are uh, forces in this world, both human forces, spiritual forces, a lot of things going on that are at war for our souls. There, there is a, a kingdom of heaven and a kingdom of earth. And at many points, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth are at odds against each other. They don't line up. They don't have the same uh, set of rules. They don't have the same goals in mind. They don't work the same way and function the same way. There's a war going on. And when you're going through the Bible and you read, like a passage like we're going to read here today, when you read through the Bible, whether it's Jesus speaking or Paul or Peter or John or here in James, no matter who it is, all of them warned believers about this struggle. All of them said to their disciples, to the followers, they said, listen, there's going to be struggle in this life. There's going to be tensions. There's going to be a tug of war. There's going to be battles that are fought over your soul in this world. And it's an age-old battle that is not going to end until the very end of time. And it's not just a, a physical battle of nations and world-ruling empires or even ideologies like democracy versus communism or something like that. It's not exclusively a spiritual battle of just angels and demons or Jesus against Satan. It includes those things, but we also learn that there's another front line to that war. And it's a war that is within, the war that's within us. So yeah, there's all the external issues happening. And most of the time as we go through our lives, that's the part that hits us. When we wake up in the morning, if you open up the news, or as soon as you show up to work or to school, this is where you start getting all of the externals. As soon as you try to spend five minutes in prayer, you all of a sudden experience the resistance that happens. There's a lot of things that are, are going on outwardly, but there's also quite a bit that happens within us. And that is the war that we actually have the most personal responsibility for, okay? Some of those higher level battles between Jesus and the principalities there, those things are going to go on long after we're dead and gone from this planet, if Jesus so tarries. But the war within is obviously the one that is closest to us. And in this passage that we're going to see here in James chapter 4, James wants to help us win that battle. All right, because even though there's a battle going on, that doesn't mean that we just throw up the white flag and say, well, we're just always going to fight. We're just always going to struggle. And whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to wait until I die. That's not what we find. All right, so let's begin by looking at the first two verses here, uh, James 4, verse 1 and 2. Here's what he says. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight 
and quarrel. Now, last week I told you as we were, we were going through that study, I said, you know, we like to think of ourselves as very rational people. People that are very, you know, level-headed and even-keeled. We have even these, these phrases like that that talk about how rational and sensible we really are. But in truth and in, in practice, what we find is, yeah, that there's some of that, but we're also very highly emotional beings as well. And our choices and our decisions are shaped by our passions and our desires, That's why we do a lot of the things that we do. It's not because logically we came up with this sequence, uh, this this thought pattern and said, therefore, A plus B plus C equals this, and therefore I need to do this. That's not a lot of times what it is. It's you walk down that aisle in the store and you're like, I like those shoes. I want those shoes. I'm getting those shoes. Did you need another pair of shoes? Probably not. You felt it. You wanted it. There was passion. You just wanted to get that thing. All right, And when we come to Christ, what we learn is that many of the passions that we have, the, the natural desires that we have, are actually fallen passions and fallen desires. I'm not saying you shouldn't go buy yourself a, a pair of shoes. That's between you and the Lord. But some of those passions that we have and those desires are fallen. And they're not the way they should be. And what we learn as we begin a relationship with Christ and start understanding the nature of God and the the nature of ourselves and the difference between those two, we start recognizing some of those things and we understand that we are all deeply affected by sin. Every one of us, from the, the oldest to the youngest, even with a little kid, you see that fallen nature. You see that sinful nature that is in us. All of us are affected by sin. And many of our God-given desires and our God-given passions, because desire and passion is, is not from the devil, guys. Desire and passion is actually from God. He made us passionate people, people with desires. But there's a difference between fallen passions and passions that are from him. And many of those God-given desires were broken in the fall. So as we come to Christ and we start understanding who he is and what he's doing in our lives, what we experience is we experience a touch from Jesus. And when Jesus touches someone, there's healing that happens. And he puts a new heart within us and he reawakens our spirit and begins the lifelong process of sanctifying us. So what about the battle? What's James talking about here with this struggle? He says your passions are at war within you. Well, the struggle happens when we begin to reclaim the territory that sin occupies in our souls. Because what we find out is our fallen nature is at war with the new nature. Yes, Jesus gave you a new heart. He put a new heart within you. So why is it that not everything lines up with that new heart? It's because some of those old passions are still fighting against this new thing that God is doing in you. this, This process of sanctifying you. And and there's a war going on between those natures. And our sinful passions, our fallen passions, are self-centered. That's one of the easiest ways to tell, well, where is this passion coming from? It's to just ask yourself, well, how self-centered is it? Is this all about me and my wants and in my way, in my time right now? There's a chance that that's actually your fallen nature speaking. 
That's part of the thing that's, that's pulling you in that way. Not always, but that's often the way it is. They're self-centered and only want to take. And when those sorts of passions start spilling out of us, as they do, James tells us what, what happens. That's where we start fighting. That's where the battles between us and other humans happen. That's the way it is. It impacts the people around us. When two self-centered people both want to take something for themselves, quarrels and fights break out. Right? I mean, that, that goes back to little kids in a nursery fighting over a toy. Mine. No, it's mine. I want it. I want it. Ah! What's happened? It's two cute little self-centered people that want the same thing. And so if I want it and you want it and we both can't have it, we're going to fight over it. It's, it's that foundational and simple. And without what James says here is, he says, but look, without something happening in that and something to, to replace that self-centeredness, you move toward this, this trajectory that is bad. What he says is these fights that are happening, eventually you get to place a murder. If, without compromise or intervention of some way, it's gonna ultimately lead to murder. Now, hopefully not literal murder, but as Jesus said, it's like hatred in your heart. It's gonna lead to hatred for another person. And without God, the war, that sort of war, will always rage with people. Okay, without God, that's what happens. A planet left alone with no God is going to be a planet that ends up killing each other. It's the way it is. And those people will be at the mercy of their own desires and at war with anyone that crosses them. All right, but what about a believer? What about a Christian? Because we have a different path in front of us, right? Our passions are not supposed to be leading to murder. Our desires are not supposed to go down that way. That's not how it's supposed to be. Colossians 3, 9 to 10 describes it. It says, you as Christians, believers, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's one of the most foundational things that we talk about when we talk about the gospel message. What we say is that when you come, you bring your broken self to God and you offer yourself to him, he gives you a new being. He begins to take away that sin and begins to pour his spirit into you and transforms your life. That's what happens in this process. But then what's James talking about here? Because if you remember from when we first started this letter, what I told you is James is not writing the letter of James to non-believers. In fact, it's one of the few uh, uh, passages, books of the Bible that doesn't even really talk about the gospel message. He doesn't really talk much about, hey, you know, become a Christian and this is how, this is who Jesus is and all that. He's, he already, he's writing this to believers. He already knows that they're believers. And so here though, he's still saying for them, that's who he's talking to. He says, you are the ones that struggle and fight and have this battle. He's not saying, oh, I don't have to bring this up to you guys because you're a bunch of Christians and you never fight. You never have any of those passions at war with you. You guys are just good to go. No, it's believers that he's, he's talking to. So why is it 
that we still struggle and fight when we've asked the Lord to change our lives and change our hearts. It's because we're still in process. As unfortunate as that may be, a new thing has happened in our souls, but the old passions still linger. They still are holding on. And Jesus came and broke the power that sin has over us so that we, by the Spirit, can put those other passions to death. Okay? Romans 6.11 describes it very well. It says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Do you see what Paul's writing here? He says, look, you are Christians. Act like it. Do it. Don't let yourselves be sucked back down that hole of where he saved you from. Don't allow those passions to overwhelm you and overcome you again. You don't have to anymore. In fact, what's happened is Jesus broke that power and has given you freedom from those things. So even if you feel like, oh my gosh, but it's like chains. I can't get free of them. And it, it, it's, it's their claws pulling me back down. He says, no, no, no. That's not how you have to live. There's freedom for you. And we can step into that freedom. You're no longer under law, but you're under grace. Yes, there is a war within you, but that doesn't mean that you're supposed to settle for it. In fact, when we do, and guys, a lot of Christians do, when you settle for it, you're settling for less than the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. So why is it so hard to reject the sins that want to dominate us? Do any of you find it difficult? Anybody? Couple? Got a, a head or two? Yeah, all right. Yeah. There's, there's, there, it is. It's hard to reject these things. I, here's three reasons why. Um, and they're, they're pretty obvious. I think the first big reason that it's hard for us to get rid of that old life and that old self and really put it to death to death because what we usually like to do is not really put it to death, but just kind of put it off to the side as Christians. I'm going to eventually get to it. But for now, it, I've got storage space in the garage, you know. So I'm just going to push it out there. And if not, I'll get one of those, you know, self-storage places. And it'll, go, it'll be farther away. But, but no, what the Bible tells us is, no, put those things to death. The first reason is we're used to them. We're used to those passions, and especially for those of you who came to the Lord later in life, you may say, gosh, I spent a good chunk of my life with those ways of doing things, right? We talked about it a few weeks ago when we were discussing anger and, and talking about anger that just gets out of control. For many people, the reason that they keep going on with the whole anger explosion stuff is because that's just how I've always done it. And it works for me. So what am I gonna put in its place if I get rid of it, Right? So we're used, to, we're used to them. We're used to those sins. The second issue that we come into when we're dealing with these passions is a lot of times we like them. 
We like our sins. And let's be honest. What does the Bible tell us about sin? For a season of time, sin is good to us. It provides pleasure. It provides an escape. There's, there's all sorts of different things. There's certain sins that we have that we're like, I want to keep this because I kind of like this. Now, the Bible also tells us that all sin leads to death, but it's not immediate death. That's the problem. Because you're like, okay, yeah, I know I'm headed toward death with this, but in the meantime, it sure feels like life. That's one of the other reasons. So we're used to them, we like them. And the other thing is that I think that many times we're not convinced that the exchange that God calls us to, to give over that old life, to replace it with a new life, we're not entirely convinced that it's going to be better for us. That's a hard one to be honest with, with yourself. I mean, again, this comes back to the whole passions versus intellect. Rationally, we say, well, God's way is absolutely the best way. Rationally, we say, well, it only makes sense that I would live this way. But passionately and with our desire side, we're like, yeah, but I'm just not positive that I'm ready to make this exchange. And I, what happens if I'm the exception to the rule? What if God's really not going to provide for me in the way that I want, can provide for myself? And so we find this battle happening. Here's what James goes on to say at the end of verse two, into verse three, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And of course, he's referring to the fallen passions here. What happens is we get stuck in between. We have this, this desire in our hearts to say, I love God. I want to follow Jesus with my life. I want to be the person he wants me to be. I want to be light and life to others on this planet. That's true. But then the other part of us, that battle part is like, yeah, but I want what I want. And I want it my way. And I want it to happen my way, in my timing, in my timetable. And I want this for me. And we get stuck in between. We want what God offers us, but we don't want to give up what we're holding. And so we're stuck. He's like, drop it and I'll, hand, I'll fill your hands with what I want to give you. And you're like, yeah, but I, I'm used to this. I like this. This is good for me. Am I really going to like what you offer me? Ah, we get stuck. Now, James is, is picking up and expanding on one of the well-known teachings of his older brother, Jesus, because it was Jesus who said in Matthew 7, 7 to 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, to understand that passage, because that's one of those hard passages of Scripture, it's that people love to quote, just pull it out of the Bible and say, See, Jesus said, if I ask, it's, ha it's, it's happening. Well, you asked that your neighbor would die because he parked in your parking spot. You know, there, there's a lot of different things that, that you can try to throw into that, you know, proof text. Oh, see, it says it right there in the Bible. No, no, no. You have to understand the context of what Jesus was saying here, what Jesus was talking about. And to understand it, you have to understand the difference between world systems. 
We saw it last week, right? There's wisdom from above and wisdom from below. There's a kingdom of heaven and a kingdom of earth, a fallen world and a redeemed world. And as Christians, we've become citizens of heaven, of redemption, citizens of that kingdom of heaven. And that's why before in Matthew 7, when Jesus said that, back in Matthew 6, what Jesus first told the people was he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When you're on that territory and you're moving in that pathway, now what happens is you start asking for these things that are in line with the kingdom of heaven and that are in line with God's will and those things happen. The problem is, and the problem that why this is frustrating for a lot of Christians because they're like, I asked this, I asked this, I asked this. The problem is most of the time, it's easy for us to be stuck in the, the kingdom of earth. And we're asking in the, the kingdom of earth kind of realm. And we're saying, Lord, I need you to heal this person. I love this person. I can't see him die. Well, guess what? The kingdom of heaven says, I'm ready for that person to come home. But for us, we're like, no, 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 no. Over here, over here. Do what I ask you to do. You see the tension? You see the battle? You see what's happening here? And we have to understand that there's the difference there and our value systems have to change. The currency of heaven is different than the currency of earth. And our fallen passions, our fallen desires violate our new humanity and attempt to pull us back into that world that we've left behind. And sometimes we get caught in the middle. And James being as blunt as James is, he calls us out. Look at at verse four. He says, you adulterous people. I hope none of you were called that this morning, (laughs) but you have been now. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell within us? Now, one little side note here for you, um, for the, the, the Bible scholars among us, which we all should be, um, that line here in the ESV, it looks like it's a Bible quote, a direct quote. In fact, in the ESV, they put it in quotations. Um, that's not a direct quote from the Bible. So if you're wanting to look up that verse and say, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us, there's many references that um, point towards that, but there's not a direct sentence there. I, actually, the NIV, I think, translates a little better in James 4 or 5. It says, or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he's caused to dwell in us? The point is this, and this is just what I want you to understand. The point that James makes is that it matters to God where our citizenship and our loyalties lie. You might think, all right, Pastor Brett, you've told me there's a war. You told me that it's, a, it's my fallen passions versus the, the God-given passions that I have. And there's a battle happening, but it's hard. And so if I just kind of sit here and wait, I'll just feel tugged this way and tugged this way and tugged this way. And I'll just kind of go through my life, bouncing back and forth, bouncing, and it doesn't really matter. No, the point is this, and this is what he's trying to explain here. The point is God doesn't want you caught in that tug of war. He doesn't want you falling back and forth over here. 
one day you're like a child of hell and the next day you're a child of heaven and then back to a child of hell and then it's in the same day. And it's like, has anybody else ever felt that way? Just me. Okay, well, that's just me. Pray for your pastor. The point is that God does care. And what he says is, I don't want you stuck over here. I don't want you to live here. I don't want you with that back and forth, back and forth. I came to give you life, abundant life, and you can be free. That's what he's calling us toward. He doesn't want us, as he says there in the hard word that he uses, he calls us adulterous. The point is, he doesn't want us to cheat on him. God doesn't want you cheating on him, so to speak. And in a war, you can't be friends with the opposition. Okay? You can't. You have to pick sides. There are no neutral countries in this battle. That's what James is describing. You're either an enemy of the world or an enemy of God. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We see it over and over again. God calls us to make a choice. And I know that this is very hard. It's very hard. There is a war within. It is a battle, but thankfully, God gives us help. We're not gonna stop here with this verse. <laughs> I'm not gonna send you home like that, all right? Look where he goes on in verse six. Even after calling us adulterous people, he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That is a direct quote from Proverbs 3.34. And he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. God knows that our struggle is real and that it's difficult. So he gives us grace. That's just freely given favor. He doesn't say you've got to come earn some grace. I see how you're living life. He doesn't say that. He says, no, no, no. I want to pour out grace upon you. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, out of his abundant love, he wants to pour grace upon us. And as we submit ourselves to his leadership, that's what he says, submit yourselves to God. As we submit ourselves to his leadership and lordship of our lives, he gives us a way to fight the battles of war that are within us against our own fallen passions and the war that the devil wages upon us from the outside. That's what he's saying here. All right, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, for we do not have a high priest, which is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You see, that's part of the beauty of Christ coming as a human being. He came in flesh like you and me. He experienced all of the battles that were happening. He was without sin. 
So he didn't have the same sort of sinful fallenness that we have, but he still experienced the temptation and the draw in all of those other ways. And so he can sympathize with us. It goes on there and says, but he's one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's good news right there. Good news right there. And that's exactly where James goes with it. Look at verse eight and nine. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But then he's gonna get serious again on us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. This, this is hard to understand here because you're like, wait a minute. First you're telling us about the grace and then all of a sudden you're like, but you better be mourning and in gloom, right? What's he describing here? I mean, this is more than just a passage for people who get in arguments with other people. That it, that's maybe how you felt when we started it. Um, it's for all of us that are fighting the battle against the sinful passions because here's what we find. Sin comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. All sorts of shapes and sizes. What is a struggle for one person their entire life may not even register for another person. Some of your battles that you fight, the person sitting next to you, it may never even affect them at all. They came to the Lord and they understood, hey, this is how I need to live life. Cool, I can do that. No problem. You came to the Lord and you read the same verse and you're like, oh, don't take that. (laughs) Right? It's how it is. But no matter what your struggle is, the solution is the same. And that's what you need to hear here today. Here's the things, there's three things that James describes to us right here. Number one, he says, submit yourself to God. First and foremost, make a decision. I'm gonna be under the leadership of God. That means what he says, I'm going to try to do. He is going to be my Lord. Submit yourself to God. Secondly, he says there, draw near to him. Don't just say, yeah, my God, he... He's, he's out there in the cosmos somewhere, way out there. Um, but, you know, someday in the, some future, thousands of years from now, I don't know how long, he'll probably come back. But until then, I'm kind of on my own. No, that's not what he says. He says, no, you draw near to this God. Submit yourself to God, draw near to him. And third, Repent. That's what he's talking about here with all this cleanse your hands, be wretched and mourn. He's talking about repenting. Now, why the grief? Why does he describe it this way? Why is he using these words like be wretched and mourn and weep? Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy into gloom. What, what, what is that about? Why is he talking? Is it God just wants us to be miserable? No, that's not it. But God insists on holiness and truth in our inward places. And that requires death to that old self. And death includes grief. Look, real repentance in in, uh, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, sorry, I'm gonna uh, read you a passage that describes what real repentance looks like. 
Because sometimes when you hear that, maybe you heard a gospel message before that said, you're a sinner, Jesus died for your sins, repent and you'll have eternal life. That's good and true. But the problem is it's hard for us to understand at all those levels what that means. And for some people, they minimize repentance to such a way just says, yeah, say you're sorry and let's go, let's move on. And there's some truth to that, but you know what a, a kind of a sad sorry is like? You ever seen that? Where somebody does something just awful to you and they're like, sorry, and moves on? Like, no, you, you're like, you don't understand what just happened here. Like, I need more than just a sorry. I need some heartfelt, deep, like true repentance if we want to have relationship. Because all I got out of you is this shallow sorry that really meant nothing to you. Or what's even worse is when they say, sorry that bothered you. It's like an apology, but not an apology. (laughs) Sorry that that upset you. It's like they put the blame on you again for the thing that they did. And there's people like that. No, but the Bible tells us what real repentance is like. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11. He says this, he says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Hopefully you've been seeing this theme because that's how it is. The way of God leads to life. The way of sin leads to death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. You're serious about it. You're earnest. You mean it. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves. True repentance is not only that you're serious about it, but now you actually, you're you're motivated to do something about it. You're eager to clear yourselves. What indignation. What's that talking about? He's saying, you you see what you did and it disgusts you. You're repelled by it. You're like, I don't want that. I'm leaving that behind. All right. And what fear, what fear of, man, how did I get there? And, and, and I don't want to go back there again. And what longing, what zeal. Now, what are you doing? You're longing for the things of God and you're, you're zealous to get there. What punishment? You, you almost, you feel like you've had to beat yourself up over this. At every point, you've proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Do you see the difference here? That's what he's describing is when he says, repent, humble yourself. He's talking about something that's really there. Not just a false apology or just uh, anything that's going on there. Not just having regret. There's a difference between regret and repentance. You can be sorry that you got caught or sorry that you did something, but that's different than wanting to leave that behind and actually repenting. Sin is serious. And God calls us to be serious about our sin. So that's why he says, look, turn your joy into mourning, your laughter into grief. We don't just laugh this stuff off and just pretend it doesn't matter. It does matter to God. Truly repent. And then our final verse that we see here this morning, verse 10, that's how he concludes it. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, why does God tell us to humble ourselves before him? Is it because God is just, I mean, he is high and mighty. He's the almighty. So has he just got this giant ego that just wants to make sure he's so far above everybody else? Well, he already is so far above everybody else. 
He doesn't need us to tell him that. He's not trying to just grind us into the dirt to make himself look better. He's not even telling us to humble ourselves as like a punishment for our sins. Jesus already took the punishment of our sins. Do you understand that? He's the one who took all the punishment for our sins, past, present, and future. And not just our sins, but the sins of everyone. Jesus took that upon himself. And his blood can cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All of it. What kind of unrighteousness? What kind of sins? Lies. The lies you've told, the lies that you might tell. Theft. Sexual immorality. Gets heavier. Adultery. Abortion, rape, murder. God can forgive every one of those things. Jesus' blood will cover all of the stuff. No matter how horrible your sins have been, no matter how long you were wallowing in them, what does James say? He says, submit to God. Draw near to him. Humble yourself and repent and he will lift you up. Now, the message is done. The message is done today, but the response is up to you. Because I think when we look at a passage like this, it's easy to kind of get overwhelmed by it. To just say, oh, there, yeah, there's a war, there's a battle. Ugh, I don't know, where do I start? How do I begin? For some of us, we might be convicted to be like, yeah, oh, I know. I know exactly where the war is in my heart. And I know exactly where those passions don't line up with these passions and how this is going in this direction and that's going in that direction and I'm torn between the two. But how do you respond? What is the war that is within you today? And what is the battle that you need a victory in? And so as we finish here today, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray that God would give you clarity to recognize those things in your own heart, but also that he would give you the motivation and the draw to do what James tells us to do, to submit ourselves, to draw near to him and to humble ourselves and repent. That we could all walk out of here today a little lighter, a little more in the light and living life like God calls us to live. Will you pray with me? Father, I just pray this morning that you would bring victory to the battle warring within every one of us. God, we know that we are people that struggle with these conflicting passions. And God, we believe that you can transform our hearts. We believe that you can change us and make us the new people that you said you would do. Lord, we are grateful that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because what that told us was that there is nothing, including death itself, 
that you cannot overcome. And Lord, we wanna be those people today that truly walk in new life. And so Lord, today I pray for my brothers and sisters that may be struggling with their sin. They may recognize in their hearts that there are places that they have been ignoring their sins or closets hiding somewhere in their souls that they're trying to separate from you. But Lord, today I pray that every one of us would be willing to come before you to lay our souls bare and just say, God, search me and know me. If there's any wickedness in me, Lord, come and root it out. Make us holy. Make us righteous before you, Lord. Not by our own work, but by the cleansing power of Jesus' blood and by the transforming dynamism of the Holy Spirit. And so today, Lord, we come before you and we ask that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you. Make us right before you. Bring freedom, bring victory, bring wholeness and bring holiness to every person here. Lord, may none of us walk out of here with sins that are not confessed, sins that haven't been dealt with, and sins that aren't being covered and overcome by your power. We thank you for your word today and pray, Lord, that you would do all that you want to do in and among us as a church and as a people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.